Call 519-763-3000 or visit riverrun.ca slash CFRU and save with promo code CFRU. The River Run Center is located at 35 Woolwich Street and is a physically accessible location. Tune in Fridays here on CFRU 93.3 FM to Silver Screen Dream Machine from 1 to 2 p.m. for a wide range of sensational soundtracks, ranging from the all-time classic favorites to the hidden gems of underground and independent film. We discuss the movies, directors, actors, and composers behind these soundtracks that add so much to the world of cinema. As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. On today's episode of Android Dungeon, us. Us. And them. No, it's not Pink Floyd. It's a movie that came out a little while ago, but it's spooky, kind of like it. Blasphemous. It's a game on the PC, kind of popular. Is there any good? And some other stuff, including Jack's playthrough of Ragusa. Stay tuned. Welcome to CFRU 93.3 FM, broadcasting at the University of Guelph, Guelph, Ontario, Canada. Uh, I think school is firmly in session. Joel? School time. Cool time, school time. Hanging out in the pool time. No, never say that again. (laughs) (laughs) You're listening to Android's Dungeon, a show about music, movies, games. uh, School. School occasionally. Uh, Panic attacks when you wake up thinking that you'd missed a course that you were not taking because you're not in school anymore. (laughs) You know, that happens sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, I missed an exam. And then I remember that I don't have to take exams anymore. I I had a persistent nightmare that I would be, I'm suddenly back in university and uh, I I wake up and it's like I'm getting close to graduation and I realize that I completely forgot to show up to one class that was in in my (laughs) same dream. It's horrifying. I just feel like. Oh, did I sign up for that? Did I sign up for a class? And there's like, is there's like, oh man, that's been going on this whole time. <laughs> it's like, the statute of limitations passed on this nightmare. Come on, folks. Like, I don't know what's going on in my brain on that. And then sometimes I've told Joel this one, but we both taught in Korea. And every now and then I'll, I'll get this nightmare where suddenly I wake up and I'm back in Korea <laughs> and I've signed up for another year. And I'm like, hey, that sounds all right. No! <laughs> Obviously, we had different experiences. <laughs> I had so much fun in Korea, but the thought of being there for another year having to teach would just be like, where's the handgun? <laughs> hey, kids. <laughs> Who knows? I think if I got to teach adults, it would be a totally different story. Can you imagine if they were good enough to play board games? You know, that would be kind of cool. <laughs> Just sit down like it's your practical learning experience. Because if you think about it, it, it would be really, it's, it's a, that would be an advanced level class you're teaching. Because you have to not only read uh, rules and interact with people, but you also have to uh, apply them practically. So it's not like, because a lot of kids can read things, but God help them if they try to explain what it means. But. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like this whole repetition thing, you know. Yeah. So I think that'd be really fun, though, Joel. Maybe we can run an ESL class in uh, Guelph for that. Maybe we can open up a hagwon. <laughs> we can we can be the greasy hagwon owners that are <laughs> yeah. teach teach, no breaks. We can go out and uh, you see her stories that uh, the because uh, you you when it came to displaying children, your options were limited. Um, but if the owner of the hagwon came by, it was like all bets are off, like <laughs> picking kids up and throwing yeah. them and stuff. Well, I read that it was only like a year or two before I went there that they had banned. Corporal punishment. Really? Yeah. It was banned? So, <laughs> I don't, in practice, I don't know. But. It's probably one of these things that's like, you, you shouldn't do it. Wink, wink. No like, longer officially condoned. That's kind of like if, um, you know, in those cop shows, whenever they unplug the camera in the interrogation room, <laughs> if you <laughs> stop. Turn off, turn off the... Uh, the teacher camera or whatever. Soup cam or whatever Soup it is. cam. 
Uh, you can check us out on Twitter, AD Radio CFRU. Email us at androidsdungeon at CFRU.ca. No apostrophe. There are no apostrophes in email addresses, folks, so I, don't have to, I shouldn't have to say that. And check us out on Instagram, androidsdungeoncfru. There are no apostrophes in Instagram or Twitter handles either, so don't, don't do it. That's why we're not getting so many Because <laughs> people keep comments. trying to put in an apostrophe, and it's like, not coming up. We're done. It's not working. Uh, Joel, what have you been playing recently? Not a lot. All right, good start to the show. We're done, folks. Thank <laughs> yeah. you for tuning in. How about you? <laughs> uh, all right, I'll just skip to me here. So I've actually got a lot to talk about as far as what I've been playing recently. Um, I was sort of dishonest because Ragusa came out a while ago, and Joel talked about it with, uh, with Harry when we were doing our Gen Con roundup. Mm-hmm. And you guys got to play it at the, the Board Game Geek hot room, or was yep. it? Uh, in the hot room. In we the got hot room. Which was I, very cold. Because I, yeah. Because <laughs> the AC, or? Yeah. I'm sure they had it cranked in Indianapolis. That's yeah, a hotel. So. Yeah. It's always wrong temperature in hotels. That's my experience. It always feels weird. Nobody can get it right. And I, when it, The first hotel that can do it, I swear, will be the, the one <laughs> that you invest in that company. They figured it out. Uh, anyway, uh, Ragusa is a game published by Capstone, uh, Capstone Games, who are quickly becoming, as far as I'm concerned, a publisher that if they put their name on something, it means you should pay attention to it. And that mm-hmm. they don't, it's not like Asmodee or Days of Wonder or something like that, where it's just like they've got tons of games out there, and that's not knocking them necessarily. I just mean they're they're more niche in that there's there's not many they're putting out every year, and the ones mm-hmm. that they do, the quality is usually up there. Um, and the previous titles, or titles, if you look through, the quality can be there. So I'm, I'll let it. I'll let their uh, library speak for themselves. But anyway, Ragusa uh, was a game that I kickstarted because the um, it, it, everything about it sort of clicked with me as far as like description and the the re- reviews the people they pay off to say this game is good. <laughs> and um, so I backed it. And this was a game that didn't show up as, uh, in my hands until after Gen Con. Uh, through, I, th- I think it was because uh, in, in a classic Kickstarter sense, Canada gets screwed. U.S. fulfillment handled no problem. Yeah. Then you get to Canada and you're waiting for Lion Rampant to handle, like do something. Who knows if it's their fault? I'm not blaming anyone necessarily. I'm just saying whoever's responsible for getting things to Canadian backers, it's usually an afterthought. And Should have had Sam, Sam have a talk to with them when she went to their warehouse j- event. Just admonish them. Ask yeah. them why do I have to wait two weeks. Anyway, whatever. Uh, so Ragusa comes out. And I got to sit down and play a little while ago, and I played a two-player. And that's going to be important because uh, overall I walked away from it going, meh. Yeah? And uh, I thought it was very interesting what was going on there, but my overall impression was I, I didn't love what I was playing. And I think this is a problem with games that advertise themselves as two-player games or two-player possible mm-hmm. when I think in reality this should have been a three-player minimum game. They're throwing in a little two-player. Is, is there a different rule for two? Uh, I think there's some slight modifications. It, it was a little bit ago, so I'm, my memory's slightly mm-hmm. hazy. But the bottom line is what you're doing with Ragusas, which is kind of cool, is that it's optimally a supply management game is the way I looked at it because you have all these different sort of hexes, and the game itself... Get, let, get, let's get this out of the way. It's very pretty. It's got nice design to it. Even though I found the design slightly cluttered in some ways. Like, I didn't think it was clear as I mm. wanted it to be in certain... Because you're really looking at the board for a lot of this stuff, and you're putting pieces on the board, and things can get covered up quickly. Um, but what you're trying to do is there are all these hexes outside of this city, and there are hexes inside of the city, and you're putting uh, people down, and you're basically... Um, harvesting resources and it does something similar to Splendor in that once you've harvested a resource it's kind of a permanent you've always you're you've got that supply chain uh, permanently established you're never losing certain things and what you're trying to do is you're trying to go from trading this to trading this to trading this and then you're buying victory points and you move on through there and I'm not going to go too deep into it because it's a little complicated and it's not going to make a difference to you <laughs> so just look at the pictures of it and maybe watch a playthrough of it but the bottom line is you do things and you turn them into other things and you turn them into these things what's the cool thing about it is there's this sort of bouncing back and forth because if you activate an area where I already have people I get to take actions too and because it's hexagon based you're always activating a certain amount of hexagons always and that means if I've got stuff there, I'm always going to be bu- uh, benefiting from your actions. So it's all about spreading yourself out in such a way that when Joel does something, I'm benefiting. And if mm-hmm. I'm doing something, Joel's benefiting. And overall, I enjoyed myself. But at the end, I kind of I, I finished it. And I was like, this was very pretty, and I had fun. But it's, it's, I, we, we kind of talked about this a little bit. But it's another Euro and that I kind of go, uh-oh. 
have is this a peak euro game for me where that <laughs> There, there's, there's a little bit of interaction with how things are going, but in general, it doesn't feel like I'm really beyond grabbing more points than the next person or somebody taking something I was aiming for as far as a, mm. like trading my resources in for victory points being something that I was super thrilled about. Um, what did you, what, what are your memories of Ragusa when you played with Harry? Because you played with three people, right, or four? Yeah, three. Yeah, which was a good number. Uh, it gave a lot of opportunity for the third player to do a lot of king making. Oh, that's right. <laughs> no, um, I liked it. Um, I found that it got really tight near the end, and like uh, I think Harry said this, but it slows down significantly in a three-player game because the space is really limited. Yes. And then also everything you do is helping everybody else. Yeah. And so all of a sudden you're like, well, I could go to this <clears throat> fishery thing. But it's going to give me, you know, nine points. It's going to give everybody else six. Is yeah. it really worth it? Exactly. And I think if you're playing, because as soon as you say something like that, and when I was playing it, I thought of it as a little bit, but I kind of get that Twilight Imperium feel, which, bear with me for a second here, but what I mean is that it's one of those games, and it's a bit of a stretch, but Puerto Rico-esque in the sense of everyone's got to be paying attention because stuff is going to be happening to them. And I think mm. there, there could be nothing worse than having to go around, I think, at a higher player count and being like, uh, oh, by the way, Joel, the, you got one of your guys here. Oh, you got one of your guys here. Oh, Harry, did you notice you got... And you're just doing that constant every right. turn when you're putting something down. All the bookkeeping. Yeah. So it's, I don't think it's nearly as bad as that because what's the... I, I'm pretty sure if you were to put a... Um, a, a counter of phrases uttered during Twilight Imperium. It's like, whose turn is it? Yeah. Did you go yet? Who oh, wants to? wait, did you play the tech card oh, already? I, 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 hold on. Wait, I, I didn't know you played the tech card. I've been saving these resources, and I really wanted to buy this tech. <laughs> All right, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who cares? Not like we're playing a game. Who's, so. who, who's got production? Who's got pro- <laughs> You haven't played production yet. <laughs> oh, shoot. Sorry, guys. Sorry, I, was, I meant to play that. I, my fault. I mean, I've you done it, too. You can't pass. You haven't done your... It, it's, oh man! I lo- I like Twilight Imperium. I'm just saying it's it, it's such a tedious experience. <laughs> I think everybody just needs to know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Um, Ragusa, I have a question for you. So I had a <coughs> I had a strategy which was you know that like I don't know if it's a fortress or a cathedral right in the dead center. Yeah. Seems really important because right there in the middle. Yeah, it makes you think it's real special. Apparently, it's not important <laughs> at all because I came across it. And the, this is the thing we were talking about learning games <clears throat> and uh, and language. Well, a lot of games will mitigate the need for you to speak English by replacing words with symbols. Yeah, in the which I- case, I- iconography. Exactly, iconography. And so then they can produce the rules in multiple languages and everybody understands them well sometimes you maybe in your first playthrough especially might not want to read all the rules mm-hmm. in which case you're guessing the iconography and the iconography for the cathedral looks exactly like you get uh x victory points for every set of th- of all three luxury goods so that's what I went for. And I probably ended the game with like 10 of each luxury good. Yeah. And then it ends up being what, like one time benefit of like it, three if you have it all It caps of out. Yeah. yeah. It's not just a permanent <laughs> thing. So like, I'm not sure if I can blame Ragusa on that one. But 45 points? No. Yeah. Sorry. You get three points. It, but Joel has brought up something interesting and that's the, the what's Ragusa has two sides of the game board, which is kind of interesting that it actually says one side is... Um, I think easier to read or lighter colored, and the hmm. other side is uh, for this. I, I'm almost, po- yeah, I'm almost positive it's this. I could be mixing up the game because it has been a little bit, um, but I'm getting more into the accessibility of things. And um, we've complained constantly about mega civilization and how, um, generally speaking, everything is very clear and easy to see, except for some of the designs of some of the territories that are clearly going to be fought over and there's going to be a lot of chits being pushed around, but they're so tiny that it becomes so cumbersome. To mm-hmm. And sometimes you're like, well, is a chit there? Is it not? And the whole flipping thing. A lot of games bend over backwards to be as accessible as possible, at least as far as um, looking at the board and being able to tell uh, what is going on at all times. And I think that's such a critical aspect of game design that I think gets overlooked or maybe is an old school sort of um, well, it, it, when it comes to sacrifices, I think uh, yeah, you visual clarity something yeah, and... is the first to go if you're going to do something other th- something else. But yeah. um, I, I think if you're designing a game, it's a good – something interesting is just to look at it and how easily can you tell what is where and what's going on at all times. And I, and, uh, I think Ragusa, generally speaking, does a pretty good job. But when you get into the iconographic territory where – 
it's meant to be understood by anyone who can understand symbols. You end up in this situation where you're flipping through a book and like, oh, what does this mean exactly? And Gaia Project does something kind of similar with that because there's tons of icons. Mm-hmm. What's the most famous one? Race for the Galaxy is famous for anyone can really play it. But the you have to almost learn a second language once to figure out these <laughs> yeah. icons. Yeah, you're constantly, I don't know, what does that do? What yeah. Is it? Yeah, I feel you. I mean, uh, I think we talked about Castles of Burgundy. Oh, yeah. And how many icons are out there because every single tile does something different. There yeah. were something like 140 unique tiles. And Burgundy is especially, I think, um, egregious, too, because it's also got this very muted kind of ugly color scheme going for it. And yeah, I don't know if it's palette. just my... Yeah, the pa- I don't know if it's my prejudice of this like lame palette <laughs> or what, but it almost makes things harder to read. <laughs> but I, I'm probably just being crazy here. So in lieu of having <laughs> any games to play, I did bring up the number or the top 100 uh euros we thought i'd go through the top 10 but it's just funny because i just had it here just in case we didn't have anything to say but (laughs) castles of burgundy is actually number two no that's a that's atrocious overall obviously atrociously out of date in my opinion so anyway ragusa um i'm like this was only on one play so i'm more than happy to be persuaded otherwise and kayla said do you want to play it again i'd 100 get it on the table but it would be tough for me to um, I, I think it's not one of those games I walked away wowed or really thinking about it very much. Yeah, I don't think it's going to be a go-to unless you have more players. Unless you have more players, and but this could be a good example of if you don't have many games and this and if it, you look at it and maybe you start with Catan and you're like, oh, I'm looking for something different or better because there's no transition. question. It's an easy transition. Take out Catan. the dice. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, so Ragusa, give it a shot if you're remotely curious about it. But t- if you're a hardcore um, if you're hardcore into this hobby, you might find yourself a little lacking. What do you think of the wall and tower building? Did you really go for that? I found it interesting, actually, yeah. because it, it... So that's another aspect of the game is the Ragusa apparently has this incredible uh, wall around its city. So the, the game has this... It's themed around this slightly in that you can put these lovely little pieces around the wall and you get points from at the end of the game with your longest un, like uh, unbroken stretch. And that's where things get interesting because... If somebody decides to build a piece of wall and they put their piece in the middle of yours, like, oh, you just busted my stretch. Or did you? Because I can build a tower that goes over it and it's continuing my stretch again. Yeah. But then somebody built a tower over one of my... It's like, <laughs> so that, that's kind of like one of the more interesting parts because there was a, the interaction there was kind of neat in a kind of a mean way. Um, I didn't mind that. I liked it, actually. And yeah. I like visual representation of what I'm good. doing. It looks great. You get a little hot, and then the tower <clears> goes <throat> perfectly over it. it yeah. It looks fantastic. It looks nice. So yeah. it, it's one of those games at the end, you can call, you want to take a picture of it because it just looks nice. Yeah. As opposed to some other games where it just looks like a mess. But uh, Which um, I was going to say, you know, you hear Jack talk a lot about, a lot about games and how they run two-player. Mm-hmm. And that's... Uh, I'm excited for for this weekend. We're actually going to head out to Toronto. Friend of the show, John Kay, who's been on a couple times, has invited us out to play games with his friends. Yeah. And uh, and the, the the big thing here is we're not hurting for content. We got plenty of games that we can get out and we want to try. You find, you hear a lot of reviews from Jack two player because he's got you know a captive audience. <laughs> he can make uh, Kayla, who's obviously another. Human being, rotating host <laughs> of the show. Yeah, occasionally. Um, make her play any any given night. Um, <laughs> now, when it comes to more players, sometimes the challenge is finding enough willing participants. Right? And it's it's not even because we've talked about this before. Just the two of us. It's not even necessarily willing participants. It's about because I'm guaranteed we could probably put out a call almost any night of the week and say, "Do you want to get?" five people together and we can do it. Yep. The question is, what do you pull, get out on the table for five players that everyone would be happy to play and is short enough to uh, fit that time period throughout the week and also uh, we're intrigued enough by. And, and is everybody's level. <clears throat> is everybody's level. Cause, and this could be one of these things where it's just like you got to, once you get everyone into these sorts of games, then it's quicker and everyone understands them. Yeah. Like you, people could be playing 18xx games throughout the week because they can <laughs> go through them so quickly. I don't know. Yeah. So. But, you know, that's uh, the other positive thing about <clears throat> meeting these uh, people in Toronto. They sound like they're into some pretty heavy uh some heavy stuff. <laughs> yeah. So every, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely me, talk about it next tell week. Tell me about John Company. Uh, what do you know about it? So we're going to be, I don't, I don't want to talk too much about it, but we're going to be playing John Company, which is a game I, I've been kicking myself for not picking up. 
when it was available, but I didn't realize it was going to be this troublesome to get a hold of. There will be a Kickstarter for the second edition. It's supposedly not going to be as nice as the PAX Premier second edition, which is disappointing, but getting another copy of it with some slightly upgraded components is fine. John Company is a game by Cole Verley, Worley, and it is set during... It's based on, a, um, I believe, a, a book called The Great Company or something, and it's about the East India Trading Company, and you play as uh, semi-amoral... A businessman running this this gigantic company, which was basically a sovereign empire. It had its own armies, and it operated almost independently um, in the east. And you are uh, extracting resources from uh, the the region. And the whole point is you you're taking them back home, and you turn them into victory points there. And you do that by buying land. You literally buy fancy hats. Uh, <laughs> you can get married. Um, buy castles, and you 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 have to. So, but the company's age, people can crash the company. Uh, there's bureaucracy. It, it's some people say it is some. I posted something to Joel a little while ago that somebody was basically saying it's like one of the greatest game to come out in a decade. Yeah. <laughs> something along those lines, which is that is a bold claim, my friend. Sounds but great. <laughs> sounds great. So it's it is longer, and I think there's a lot of interactivity. But I'm very very excited to play this game. So yeah. hopefully we can have a more in depth. Uh, <laughs> yeah, can't wait to tell you what it's like. It stinks. <laughs> Somewhere like the British East India Trading Company was worth. Something like with inflation, thirteen trillion dollars. That sounds. I believe it. You could have said twenty. I could. It, it was, but it was a behemoth. It was. Yeah. It was a total beast. It just basically had all the money and all the power. It's incredible what you can get away with when you <laughs> just like let off. Well, anyway. Um, so yeah, we're, we've got we're going to be playing that, and um, then supposedly depending on how things are going, break off into groups. But we'll talk more about it after it happens because speculating is yeah. the worst thing possible. Um. So I want to talk about two more games before we move on. Um, second one, very quick. Uh, got to play some Feast for Odin up at the cottage a little while ago. Again with Norwegians. I love this game. Love, love, love it. And every time I play it, my mind just grinds away for a little while afterward, thinking about what to do differently and what mm. I want to do. And I did pick up something on Board Game Geek. They have the Board Game Geek store. So this is a little tip for um, potential addicts to the hobby. Board Game Geek Store um, has a bunch of different stuff for usually um, as accessories or specific little pieces to go with games. And some of these pieces are these one-off bonus goods that were sold at uh, festivals or Gen Con Con or Essen that if you showed up, you could get them. And then I don't know if the the geek buys them or if they're, uh, they're the ones distributing them or whatever. So you have the opportunity. So let's say you really love a game like Freeze for Odin. And you can go there and you can see some one-off things that were sold. And there, one one of these was sold retail, which I missed. And it was a, they called it a mini expansion, but that's kind of pushing it. But you get two islands that were uh, you could add to your game. That's fine. I've been missing them for a bit, but I wanted them. Something that was a little more interesting was in a more recent email, there was the, uh, there was a, I don't know where these came from, but they're special gray tiles that are all Christmas themed. <laughs> so it's like Christmas tree and skates and uh, some other stuff. So it's more bonus tiles or special tiles you can add to the game and kind of play around with. So I ordered uh, the mini islands and the, um, or the, the islands and these, um, these goods tiles. So looking forward to seeing what they look like when they, <laughs> when they show nice. up. But anyway, Feast Road is still incredible. The last thing I want to talk about is a game that came out semi-recently for, I believe, all the consoles. I don't know if the Switch, but um, it's called Blasphemous. Hmm. And it's a side-scrolling Metroidvania with a... Well, because it's because it's current year, Dark Souls influence. Oh. And, um, but the Dark Souls influence is, I'd say, fairly limited. It's not like Dark Souls. It's not like Dark Souls. like Dark Souls. Dark Souls. So anyway, the, the premise is that it's got this um, theme of almost Spanish Catholic... Um, medieval imagery um, mashed together with I'd say um, let's let's say 70s psychedelic metal Ooh. and you the art direction let's get this out of the way is fantastic some of the greatest pixel art I've ever seen in a game it looks like somebody had made it, it like a game that should have come out for um, maybe let's say the, the original PlayStation that used original hand-drawn pixel art mm. um, but never got released and you, your main character is this really cool-looking guy who has this, like, solid metal face and this odd cone wrapped in thorns. You walk around with this sword, and it's all the standard moves. You can slide, you whack your sword, you can counterattack, and all that nonsense. 
and you're running around this this world that feels this is where the Dark Souls influence really comes in, where you have kind of a main village hub area, and you branch out in the different sections, and you run around, you fight bosses, and when you beat them, you get some arbitrary item that allows you to move further on in the game, and so mm. on. Um, so right away, the art style is fantastic, the music's great, the voice acting is good. The problem with the game is that it um, the plat there's a lot of platforming in it. And the platforming is often sandwiched with instant death pits and instant death spikes. And it gets very, very frustrating because the platforming is not tight. Hmm. And you end up in these positions where it, it does something that a lot of Castlevania games have done before. And that's big deal is that if you get hit, some, your character goes flying backwards. Uh, this can kind of suck when flying backwards doesn't mean, oh, I, I lost some health and I got to reestablish my position. It means, oh, I'm dead. Now I got to go six screens back and get back to where I was before. All the enemies have respawned, <laughs> by the way. Um, and it can, can become very, very, very tedious, especially in some of the certain sections of the game where you're doing tons of this unnecessary platforming. And you just want to speed back to where you were, but you've got to fight every enemy on the way because something that Dark Souls did right is that if you know what you're doing, you can run past almost every every enemy in the game. Uh, mm. And it's up to you whether you decide to engage with them. Some, and if you know how to dodge them, you're fine. In this, you can't dodge a lot of these enemies, and it gets very frustrating very quickly because oh, turning this grind. Like, All right, I got to kill everything, get back to where I was. So the platforming is kind of troublesome. There are a couple of bosses that feel very grindy and random, and they feel more out of they feel more in place with. Uh, a more arcadey platforming game where the stakes weren't as high. Um, like Cuphead? Like Cuphead. Cuphead's very tricky. Cuphead's fantastic. But uh, no, I, I mean more of um, something where it's that, um, like Mario. It, mm. It's not, it, or Contra. Mega Man? Mega Man. Mega Man's really tough too. But uh, And Contra I kind of contradict myself with because Contra is like you get hit once and you're dead. But yeah. you got lives at least so you can go back and you can dodge everything properly and it's not as random. But I guess my main complaint is just the game uh, is the arts. It, it carries itself on the art style and the, the story and this, this uh, great theme, which is something we kind of talk about with board games. Um, but ultimately, mechanically, is very shallow and kind of frustrating. And mm-hmm. you walk away from thinking like you, you had you had obviously you had a strong vision of what you wanted to do, but the game itself is a little weak. Mm-hmm. And you want maybe more time or better development, or you could have done something more interesting with this. But overall, I think it's a great game. Pick it up on sale, and then tell me what you think. But so blasphemous, maybe a six point five. I'd give it a seven, seven and a half. Um, it's a solid B, B plus. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's just there are moments, like basically last night, I got to nearly the end of the game, and I just fought this boss, and I, he killed me pretty quick, and I just like, nah, I don't want to. <laughs> and I just turned it off. And uh, then, it wasn't even a rage quit, because a rage quit at least is like, oh, I'm, I'm going to come back at you later. This is just, I know exactly what's happening here. It's fine. Whatever. I'll come back later. So Blasphemous, um, if, you're in, if you have a craving for Metroidvanias, uh, which is a term that will sometimes make people really angry, but it, everyone understands what I'm getting at as soon as mm. I say it. Give it a shot. but uh, And it's not expensive. I think it's like 20 bucks, 25 bucks. Like It could be wrong. But not bad. Anyway. Um, all right, let's take a break. We'll be back in a second to discuss us and maybe some uh, some board games on the list. We'll see what happens. Stay tuned.
Welcome back to CFRU 93.3 FM. What you just heard was some spooky music from... Uh, I didn't mean to play the same artist again. <laughs> Spectrostatic from uh, Pieces Volume 2, Kowloon Apartment. I'm going to say Kowloon makes me think of um, maybe a port in uh, Shanghai or Hong Kong. You're close. Yeah, there you go. Is it really? Yeah, Hong Kong Island across the river is Kowloon. Well, there you go. Look at that. And uh, now I really want to watch a spooky uh, Hong Kong horror Murder film. Mystery. Or, yeah, something yeah. along those lines. There's a series called, what's it called? I want to say like Brutal or, or I don't know, that kind of a, one of these anthology horror series. But this one, there's a current season of that looks like it's themed around, I don't know if it's J-horror or uh, K-horror. But uh, I wish I could remember the name of it, like Ravage or um, Beast. Whatever, I'll try to remember it later. I have kind of a funny story related to Kowloon for you. All right. This isn't so, where you fell. Is it? No. Okay. Um, so I was up in the Old Territories, which is north of Kowloon, kind of in the interior, almost getting across the border to China. Mm-hmm. Uh, you come to the coast, you're in Kowloon, and then you cross over, you're on Hong Kong Island, which is where all the rich people are. Mm-hmm. Now, Kowloon, if you stop out, get out of the station, is the Kowloon Market, and it smells pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It smells like kind of rotting fish and oh. uh, just things being left out in garbage and not being taken uh, care of. Okay. Great. It, it's it's pretty bad. I can smell it. I can yeah. smell it. And little kids, sometimes not too polite. Um, there was a sort of like a gathering and, and two families met and the little eight-year-old said to the other one when I was there, said... <laughs> You smell like Kowloon side. <laughs> <laughs> I like that they knew, like, they they associate that smell with Kowloon. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Yeah, which obviously, like, also kind of like a subtle reference to poverty, right? Like, true. Hong Kong Island side, okay, we're doing all right. Clean, Kowloon fresh, side. Cool. <laughs> wrong side <laughs> of the tracks, that. wrong side of the river. Yeah. Uh, speaking of spooky uh, music, spooky movie... We saw. We talked about it last week, and we were both really disappointed with it. <laughs> and uh, this came out a while ago, and for some reason we didn't talk about it. I think because you didn't see it till fairly it recently. Took me a while to watch it, yeah. which I thought was interesting because I thought for sure you were like. Well, I was a big fan of Get Out, and I was yeah, I was looking forward to us. So us by uh, one half of Key and Peele, yeah. uh, Jordan Jordy, uh, came out, and I think generally speaking. Uh, nobody really liked it as much as no, definitely Get didn't have the wide reception. But I guess it didn't have the uh, uh, controversial theme that got it, you know, wide attention. Yeah. So it, it uh, for those who don't know, Us is a film from, I guess it was 2018. Am I wrong or was it early uh, 2019? Yeah, no, it was 2018. Yeah. Set in, uh, um, we actually visited it, uh, the area. You um, went there. The theme park that the movie ends on, or that section of California. I forget the name. Uh, well, it's in outside of <laughs> Six Flags. Yeah, sure. Let's say Six I Flags. Um, but uh, family goes to on vacation, and uh, all of a sudden they're menaced by a, an identical family that's wearing this red coverall, and they've got weapons. Pajamas or something. And they seem off. And uh, they don't really communicate. There's something wrong with them. And they're basically being hunted by this family. And it turns out it's not just the family. It's the entire world. The world? The United States? Yeah, I wasn't really sure. about. I think it's at least the United States because they have that whole hands across America thing. Yeah. And it turns out for every person there is in the United States or North America, there is a doppelganger that exists in mysterious facilities beneath the earth. Uh, Yeah, when did that happen? Don't worry about it. (laughs) Uh, and it's all about this family's quest to destroy their doppelgangers and escape. Some twists along the way. Um, what a twist. What a twist. Without diving too deep into the plot, uh, because frankly, you don't need to. Um, Joel, what did you? What are your thoughts on us? I didn't mind it. Yeah, I, I actually enjoyed it. It was genuinely scary sometimes and, and funny. Uh, as far as horror movies, Jordan Peele's movies are usually a lot funnier. Um, which reminds me, I wanted to ask you a question. Comedies. Kind of taking a dive lately. When was the last time you had a successful comedy, really? Like The Hangover? I don't know. I can't. One, better question is when the last time I went to a theater to see a comedy. Yeah. And aside from it, I haven't laughed in a the theater in a long time. So I watched a thing uh, It was basically saying that comedy is dying as a genre, but still blossoming as a form. 
mm. basically saying that comedy is kind of just integrating itself into other genres mm. and the dedicated comedy is kind of uh, losing its way because you know people just if you're, if you're going to a movie and just like expecting to just get jokes constantly and laughing you're usually disappointed because I think audience is a little more savvy yeah um, so movies like <clears throat> Us which are just like, here's a horror movie, but we're going to make you laugh as much as we can. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, there's like action movies and like a lot of the action movies, they'll have like comedic relief. Like if you think of yeah. like an Avengers movie or something where they, they do the whole time travel thing and the Hulk is, I see this is an absolute win. <laughs> yeah. Kind of uh, the, the pre-baked yeah. in sort of catchphrases or something. Exactly. But yeah. It, it's interesting. Funny you bring up us and talking about mixing comedy in with the horror, and I think we can go back to it again because um, I want my horror to be 95% horror uh-huh. and 5% funny, and those 5% funny can has to be organic. Um, it was 70% funny and 30% horror. And of that 30% horror, 5% was remotely scary, um, <laughs> yeah. which created this bizarre mixture. Us, I found, um, it, it, it had that Peel-esque sort of comedy mixed in. It kind of bugged me, to be honest, mm. because I felt like he wasn't treating it seriously, and that bothered me. Mm. Because I showed up expecting to be spooked, yeah. and all pretense of spook was almost out, was dispelled pretty quickly um, because, to be fair, my expectations were subverted in mm. that I was expecting to be more of like a home invasion horror film with yeah, them. Kind I of think being, as soon as the baddies start talking, you realize you're in for something else. And I had, tr- I was, when, and spoiler alert, when uh, Lupita's double, double, starts talking to her in the, in front of the fireplace, I was like, is this a joke? Is right. this meant, is this funny or is this serious? Uh, Ah, uh, it didn't work. <laughs> didn't work for me. I'm sorry. It's neat. Maybe I was in the wrong place. I would be. I'm more than happy to admit or accept somebody else found it spooky, but it bugged me. And what do you think was the scariest part, or like the spookiest part? I think it had to do with the other family that yeah. got murdered. Tim Heidecker and Handmaid's Tale lady, who. Yeah. And I thought there, when their doppelgangers come through, and it was shot interesting because the house was interesting too. It was very modern, and the light was spooky. And there's that one scene that I kind of stuck with me a bit when the doppelganger is putting on the makeup in the mirror, and she's mm. just doing that miming stuff. And I was like, "This is cool. This is I, I'm like I'm digging this part right here." But yeah, yeah, and uh, the music. Yeah, that's right. What song was playing? Speaking today? of the like gangster rap or something, the or? weird music selections in us. Yeah. You're mine. <laughs> yeah. He's getting vomited. Or ch- uh, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so if horrors aren't pure horror, then I want to ask you <coughs> about Mandy. So Mandy, I think, would probably be about 75% horror, 5% comedy, or a little bit less. Because I'm thinking about, you know, making fun of the uh, the cult when the girl's doing it. The trip out, yeah. And him doing the whole... Here I am. Thing, but that's not. Know, but then it's also like twenty percent action. Mandy is a, I think, a weird one to talk about because it's, it, it is a throwback thriller. Horror film, no, it has horrifying elements for sure. Mm. Like when the, um, I believe when the ass- assault initially happens and uh, the the crazy bikers show up and mm. there's that one scene where that weird little blonde fat boy is kind of looking through the window in the dark and then just the hands go over his face and just like pull him into the darkness <laughs> like he's the sacrifice to these like <laughs> these bikers like oh my god but I don't I didn't find it scary as much as thrilling disturbing it's maybe disturbing yeah. it's not a horror film it's not trying to it's not like Nicolas Cage is creeping through the dark and you're worried about some supernatural force. He's got a giant axe. He spent like he's a nice montage yeah. forging, even <laughs> though he's been knocked down. But he's a classic He's a classic 80s hero in that they're not going to be flawless. They're not always going to get away untouched. But mm. in this case, you know he's going to triumph. Ultimately, it's just what are the hiccups along the way versus something like what's more traditional horror film well why don't we just go back to us then because yeah. it was sold to me as a horror film that's maybe my whole problem and it wasn't a <laughs> you didn't horror get film. what you paid for i didn't get what i paid for and frankly um what bugged me walking out of it was that 
this is Peel's problem, which is why he was handling the Twilight Zone reboot, is that he doesn't care, I think, as much about the logic behind stuff or the practicality. Mm-hmm. He's more concerned about this idea or this aesthetic. And yeah. from on a TV show, maybe get away with that for something like and, – and Get Out, it's not as important because you don't – there's not too many questions. But for us, the entire time after the midway point when things are revealed – I'm starting to scratch my head and things are bugging me. Like, where did There's these... a lot of movie to come and... <laughs> yeah. And the questions are piling up and it's, I'm getting... Probably, I'm being pulled out of the movie. I'm, yeah. You're starting to The world is it. cracking. And yeah. that's what got me. It, too much explanation, but not enough explanation simultaneously. It's, you can't give us something that doesn't make sense and give us a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense. It's either give me nothing and let me build it myself or like... do the. What I'm trying to say is that so you have this facility beneath the entire world, and all of a sudden they, they're all led simultaneously by this girl, um, and they magically all sew up their suits. They've all got weapons. They all know exactly where their doppelgangers are, and they all form their line, and they just do all these things. It's kind of – it's like on the surface you think that's cool. That's that's neat. It's very spooky and weird. But then you start thinking, where did they get all the resources for this? What have they been doing here the whole time? How are they procreating? Ah, I don't care. Who cares? <laughs> yeah, meanwhile they – for, there's, there's, they still have to mimic everything that people and they still have to mimic everything. So it's just again, it's visually interesting, but uh, I think narratively, it's it, it no, just yanks me. I want to ask. Two movies in, looks like Jordan Peele is into twists, yeah. right? What a twist! What a twist! So, what would you compare his twists with M Night Shyamalan? <laughs> Uh, Sixth Sense, I still think is an outstanding movie. Yeah, it's it's been a while since I saw it. I'm I'm biased though because I saw that. Um, it was a special night because Dad and I went to see a movie by ourselves when we were in Toronto, and that mm. was kind of unique. That Mom stayed home, my brother stayed home, and then we, because Dad was working in Toronto, and we had an apartment there that because he was staying there throughout the week, and we would go there on the weekends and spend time there. So on a Saturday or something, we walked downtown to and we went to the uh, movie theater that's. Uh, um, I think it, I don't know if it's the the, the Scotiabank Cineplex or something, but you'll always see it in those Tanner mm, Zipchin yeah. things in there. But you take an escalator all the way up to the top, and that's there. And so we saw. I didn't know what we were doing, and then we sat down, we watched this movie, and it was it's it's a fairly spooky movie, but it was also especially spooky for me as a kid because I'm kind of nervous in the big city at night too, and yeah. uh, and I just loved it. I thought it was really really great. Um, and the twist at the end was fantastic. And afterward, I was talking to. I remember saying, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." Like you think about this, and he was ever talking to her, and he was like, "It makes yeah. sense." And then just goes downhill from there. But th- I don't know. What's the twist in Get Out? Uh, that the girlfriend is in on it. Really? I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose it's a twist. It's more of just a backstab. Yeah. I mean, they come back. And what's the twist in us? That they're all in, like it was the. Well, the twist. I don't know. I, I don't want to say, but. Yeah. No, girl, that's fair. Right? Actually. Yeah. Yeah. That's better. That's Which a... I was going to say that was the spookiest part was when the girl goes into the fun house at the yeah, beginning. And, and that's OK. Fair enough. That's straight up horror. Right and at there. that point, you're still in it. Right. Yeah. Up until the woman starts talking. I think you had a yes. good horror going on. Ex- OK. Perfect. That's we can, I agree with you 100 percent on that is that yeah. as soon as she opens her mouth, uh, <laughs> things went downhill. Yeah, and because uh, the, the part on the beach I thought was pretty good too, with just the mm, the, the bloody guy, the bloody homeless man, or something. Who what he already going on. he already started yeah. it. I don't know, whatever. Um, but as far as horror films go, too, it's funny you bring up comedy and horror because horror is in this weird transitional state where it's it every we always go through cycles with horror, and uh, we went through, we're, we escaped the saw um, hostile torture porn genre, um, yeah. nonstop. And we moved into the paranormal activity, uh, slow ghost story where nothing happens. And yeah. then we moved into the... Things you can't see moving. Things you can't see moving. Like, And then we uh, found footage stuff came back big, so like the recording stuff. Yeah. Um, and then we moved into um, the the Conjuring was huge and the Insidious movies and all that stuff. But yeah. that's Based uh, off a true story. Based off true story, but more on this, um, it's all this like Blumhouse. <laughs> like, things, it's this yeah. factory that produces horror movies. <laughs> and every now and then you get lucky with something that's uh, a little more interesting and, and weirder. And um, But... What's but have you what's been in theaters that's been remotely interesting as far as horror goes that made you go whoa this there's is interesting really like enough like they're still churning out like there's always at least two or three horrors in the theater 
Right. But which but ones? None of them are, you want to see. None of them you want to see, right? <laughs> they look like they – you can almost see the executive sitting there and go, all right, so uh, sp- Spanish whore. We got like <laughs> la, la ghostly lady in the convent of the Mexicans and stuff. It's like, all right, fine, whatever. Put it in the theater. All right. We got spooky clowns. What's scarier than spooky clowns? I don't know. Scary dolls. <laughs> Scary doll three. You think, oh, hey, no. what if we brought Chucky back? <laughs> what if we brought Chucky back? Which Child's Play 7. I didn't see that. And I guess I had no interest in it, so that's that. But. You know what I thought was the ultimate uh, <coughs> cheap shot as far as w- what's been produced lately was uh, everybody was really spooked out by The Nun and The Conjuring. Yeah. And then they just made the movie The Nun. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Everyone was spooked out by Annabelle in The Conjuring. What they do? <laughs> Annabelle. They're up to like three or four Annabelles right now. Yeah. It's insane. So, but that's all Blumhouse again. And uh, I don't know. I'm Comedy is I think tougher sell because you're getting to the point where do you really want to spend $13 on a movie ticket to see a comedy on the big screen um, It's and the answer is probably no because you want to go there for spectacle you want to see superheroes bang into each other yeah. and well, I think part of the part of the <clears throat> reason why superhero and action movies are big Jack mm-hmm. is because they're less dialogue dependent and that the Asian market and the Chinese market is massive. Oh, absolutely. And then they sell Good point. Good big point. time over Yeah, there. like are you going to sell a, uh, a movie based on like North and American humor and beats? Comedy and... doesn't translate well. You try to do a British comedy in China, no one's going to get the jokes. No, that's interesting. Although, you know what? And, I, and just thinking back, it's like how many like Asian comedies have I seen? Yeah. No, horror translates really well. Yep. Action movies translate obviously super well too because bang, 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 things go boom. Everyone loves that. But... <laughs> Comedy, you're right. That's see an explosion. Everyone wants to see explosions. <laughs> but nobody's making interesting comedies. That's my thing. I, th- I blame, mm. um, what's his name? Uh, Hangover Man. Or not Hangover. Um, uh, knocked Judd Up Apatow? Man. Judd Apatow. I blame yeah. him for killing comedies. Yeah. And the reason I say that is because they're not that they're unfunny. They all usually are amusing to some degree. But I hate that they're trying to be emotional. And they're trying mm. to make me feel like normal things from this movie. And that's – I I went to the movie theater not to feel normal things about people feeling sad and stuff mixed in with gross-out comedy. Yeah. Give me Nicolas Cage chopping somebody's head off and lighting a cigarette on their on their burning <laughs> face. That is what I want to go to a movie for. I don't want to go and see someone feeling sad about not getting married. A man of taste. <laughs> a man of taste. <laughs> but that's where I'm at there. So what do you think about comedies and uh, – yeah, no, I, I'm with you, and I think it's probably also that there there's a little bit too much cater, um, pandering going on. You know, it's like it's like as we mm-hmm. get older, I feel like all these comedies are directly trying to appeal, like people with young kids. Yeah, there's a lot of like uh, neighbors as an example, where it's right. just like, hey guys, we we've moved on in our lives. And What's now the demographic? Got this, yeah, exactly. They're appealing to a sp- certain demographic. It's like man, things. Like it used to just be silly and funny. Like bring back the teen sex comedy. That's what I'm waiting. <laughs> yeah, for. let's go back to that. Has there ever been a time a when we needed old. American Pie <laughs> more than ever? <laughs> this is we need to save comedies with gross out yeah. uh, cheap sex comedies. <laughs> anyway, um, nothing coming up except for the Dune remake that uh, mm, I cannot yeah. like. Mm-hmm. I try not to think about it too often because like, it's like <laughs> think about Christmas when it's getting too close. It's just going to make it worse. You need to just forget yeah. it. Set it and forget it. And you build things up in your mind too yeah. much, and then they're not as good as you think. And no, it will your, be. Your heart is broken. Although, I'm still waiting on the copy of Dune the Game to show up. I don't understand where it is. <laughs> oh, which also looks awesome. Looks great, and I can't wait to try that. Yeah. And uh, I can't, there's, maybe this will be the sci-fi uh, fall coming up, because I really want to pick up Sidreal Confluence. I think, mm. it, I think it'll, I think it'll go over like... Um, a balloon filled with cocaine in our group. It's just going to be... <laughs> we love balloons filled with cocaine. <laughs> not Floating balloons, not, not uh, otherwise. Because uh, I think it'll just be a fantastic experience. Because we all love the horse trading aspect of Negative, and this is a game that's all about just yeah. hustling and wheeling and dealing, and uh, you can make any deal you want. Basically. We look at Panic at Wall Street. Panic at Wall Street. Over. It was fun, fun, beautiful. fun, fun. All right, so let's move on in the diamonds of the show. Joel has a list in front of him. Uh, why, why don't we compare the two? Do you want to do? The, yeah, let's just quickly run down the top ten now, and then I'm going to do the top ten euros. Yeah. So, what, what year are the list from, Joel? Well, the the current one is, or sorry, the top ten overall is is current as of today. As of today. 
and the uh, top 10 euros is from 2015. All right. So Gloomhaven number one overall still stands. I don't know what happened to us playing it or anybody playing it, but... Things have... It's coming back. I see it every day. We'll find it, yeah. I see it every day. Just haven't had time. Pandemic Legacy Season 1, I don't think anybody goes through it and thinks, oh, that was a waste of time. Yeah. We... I actually got a message from your... I almost said wife. Yeah. From your girlfriend yesterday, I think. She wants to... We really need to get a September game. Because we're in September. (laughs) Yeah. And we have to win. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, terraforming Mars I love it Jack's not a big fan uh, there are a lot of problems but it did a lot of cool things the I fact think. is number three kills me number three it's it's got a really cool economy management you've got eight different resources and uh, and you're basically just cycling between them and, <laughs> I want to tra- and you get to terraform Mars the theme yeah I'm gonna we'll play it again one time and I want to try something according to how somebody else said it yeah, I want, okay. I'll see what happens it's one of those games I couldn't care less about theme. Yeah. Love the terraforming. It works. Mars theme. It works. And some people have done it's incredible three D prints. So ugly. <laughs> oh man, it's not a pretty game. Three D prints. Three D printed um, pieces. So whenever you put trees down, it's oh, like up there, and nice. uh, they even have little slots for put your cubes in and uh, the rest of that stuff. So through the ages, story civilization still haven't played it. Um, the the oh, by the way I don't know if when this airs in uh, right now which is live by the way uh, Thursday uh, check out it's on sale right now forty percent off on GOG I think Steam has a sale on as well the digital edition of Through the Ages um, funny you bring it up there is an expansion just came out for it it's all card based though but it adds new leaders new wonders um, nerfs some of the previous leaders buffs some of them 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 too um, the cool thing is if you buy a hard copy. Uh, it comes with a code to give you those cards online too, which mm. what a novel idea. The idea Genius. of you buying a hard copy and being given digital access, which everyone <laughs> in the world does except Everybody for Wizards of the Coast. Everybody should get PDF if, yeah. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> if you buy an album now, it always comes with a download I should probably buy the app because the, the amount of time I've sunk into the Twilight Struggle app, Jack, you wouldn't believe. Are you, are, are you starting um, to crack it? Is I'm it not feel- a completionist by any means, but yeah. sometimes when it comes to these app games, like I completed everything in, in Pandemic, mm-hmm. the app. I'm getting there for Twilight Struggle. Holy swim. I've got a couple things that are like a little tricky, like win with uh, um, Cuban Missile Crisis, oh, certain see. things like that. I got uh, End of the Space Race and win, which was pretty tricky. Okay. But yeah, I mean, that's the next one on the list, Twilight Struggle, which nobody can really argue with. It was number one for ages. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a good game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. No complaints. You haven't played it? Come on. Uh, Star Wars Rebellion is next, which... Uh, yeah, You've played. I have not. decent. Uh, I don't know if it's the sixth best game in the world, but... Twilight Imperium 4. That contentious choice, but I agree it deserves to be in top ten as far as yeah. board games go and like experiences. Talk uh, about ambitious. Well, that's it. Ambition. You got to reward in some sense because yeah. as, as much as I like to uh, take a big old dump on it, it's <laughs> it's still something that I think about now and then and get a kind of a scratch. For and it. we've just passed the one year mark since yeah, last so time we've played. <laughs> we're getting into the territory. Impatient enough to play it again. Can have people at our place this time for it. Number eight, Gaia Project. Which is essentially Terra Mystica Space. Terra Mystica. Is that right? Yep. Except it's got variable setup and uh, comes with uh, all the um, amount of races you'd expect in the game out of the box. Uh, I think you needed the expansion from the original Terra Mystica to hit those numbers. But, yep. It is it is in, uh, how would you describe it? I don't want to say engine optimization game, but it's a turn optimization game where somebody who knows what they're doing will destroy you if yep. you do not. It's and an that's that. Agricola of... Yep. Euros. Although, (laughs) I understand what you're getting at. (laughs) Number nine, Scythe. Yep. Scythe. Never falling off. Nope. Not while the uh, Stone Mare Defense Force is in. Yeah. (laughs) Still the best looking game I've played in a while. Very gorgeous. I can't think of a lot of games that look better than Scythe. Especially the player mats. Yeah, I can't think of it. Go back to them and just say, what a beautiful design. Beautiful. With the the, tech, the uh, technology or the teching up where you remove the cube and put it on the bottom. Just fantastic I th- design. <laughs> I think the only thing that bugs me about the those pieces now is playing Viticulture Tuscany, how it's all the, the same. The, the pieces are all the same, more or less, and it kind of like, damn, you <laughs> didn't bother surplus to pieces. make any change. <laughs> and finally, Great Western Trail. I love Great Western Trail. I think it's fantastic. Still 
haven't played. I'll have to make that my goal. We'll next do it year. at the. We'll try to get it at a cottage. We'll we'll do oh, that. That's that's where idea. we played it, and uh, the expansion apparently is fantastic, and a lot of people swear because we we almost need to do a list, and maybe that's what we can think about for the uh, another show down the line is games that you cannot play without expansions, mm. for better or for worse. Yeah. Um, but I haven't played it yet. I haven't picked it up. It's an expensive one. It's I think the. Price on the Great Western Trail expansion is close to forty bucks. When the hmm. base game's like getting like sixty, seventy dollars too, it's like, ooh, there better be some content in here. <laughs> and I think there is, so it um, boosts the, the the whole train game. It kind of trade or moves some things around as far as priorities. Nice. Well, I think I'll make it my goal next year, maybe to ensure that I have tried all the top twenty games. Good. That's easy to do. Yeah. Do you want to hear about the Euros? Let's go. Uh, number one, Terra Mystica. Number two, Castles of Burgundy. Castles of Burgundy, you'll be happy to know, has dropped from 13th to 16th overall. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. Like, let's put it this way, because we talked about Castles of Burgundy a fair bit. This is what bugs me about these lists, is that if somebody looks at these games and says, okay, I want to pick up and I want to play these top games of all time, if you gave a person the Year of Our Lord 2019 Castle of Burgundy to play, Hmm. Out of the gate, or after they played a couple of modern games, I think you would you might scare them away from t- trying any list ever again because I think Actually, it's such a, it took two attempts for us to get through the whole game. Yeah. Sam and I, and even Puerto Rico too. I think I might you might have some trouble. Uh, You'd want some somebody to teach it. Yeah, which uh, Puerto Rico is number four. Yeah, Concordia number three. Easy should be higher. Easy number one euro of all time. Is it a euro? Mm. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's a deck builder. It's a resource management. Yeah. Concordia, if we, this is another show we'll do, we'll do the list of, like, games you should own. If you only have to own one game. Get it. Or, like, certain lists, get Concordia. Um, if you, I, I think I would say pick up Concordia Venus right now because it's it comes out of the box with a lot of stuff. And you can pick up Concordia Salsa, which comes yeah. with the expansions and stuff. If you want, if you see a cheap copy of the normal game, pick that up. Or if you don't like Venus for some reason, even though it's as far as I'm concerned, anyway, whatever. Even the filthy casuals love it. Filthy casuals. <laughs> I can't believe it's not a digital impl- <laughs> implementation of Concordia. Yeah, good point. Uh, number five, Brass Lancashire. You played this? Uh, I played the remake of it. Oh, okay, yeah. What do you think? It's a great game. It's a great game. <laughs> yeah. It's up there. Yeah. Number six, Caverna. Number seven, Agricola. What is going on here? This can't be right. <laughs> Obviously, there was a mistake. Yeah, must be. <laughs> number eight, Power Grid. Oh, yeah. Power Grid's great. Number nine, Zolkin. Love Zolkin. Haven't played it enough. Number ten, Lahav. Interesting, Lahav up there. Yeah. Lahav, I'd go back to Lahav, but it, we're at the point with Rosenbergs where it's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> Which, I mean... We've said it before, but I think uh, definitely... Are we out of time? <laughs> We're almost out of time. But what um, are you going to say? Finish it. Feast for Odin contains all the Rosenbergs in one. In my opinion. some pe- A lot of people will go back to Agricola as being the one that's still totally unique in itself. But, yeah. anyway. but Feast for Odin is... I just it, love it so much. It, it's the culmination of all that he learned <laughs> and all that he... <laughs> Everything's been building to this point. Yeah. Anyway, thank you for listening. I'm Jack. I'm Joel. Support the station. Goodbye. <laughs>